0: He said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. He says, you've got to become like children. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how important are those children in your life? You want to make it to heaven? You've got to become like
1: children. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Marriage Matters, As we've studied from the book of Matthew, we've learned what Jesus has to say about marriage. Today, we'll hear how Jesus demonstrates our need for him by comparing us to children. So why do children matter to Jesus? Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 18 and join Pastor Trent Griffith for the conclusion of the message called, The Matter of Children. Here's Pastor Trent. Verse 14, but Jesus said,
0: let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Matthew is telling us a story about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to get the kingdom of heaven into our homes and children are a huge gateway for making that happen. Jesus is gonna teach us a lesson here about the kingdom that involves children. Verse 15, he laid his hands on them and he went away. What a beautiful story about what Jesus thinks about children. You see, children matter to Jesus. And because children matter to Jesus, Marriage matters because it's in the context of those great marriages that we can best care for and love and nurture, protect, and provide for those children. Children understand that marriage is God's laboratory for growing them. And we should understand what we should do within the context of marriage. There's five things that we should do to remove the hindrances to let the little children come to us. The first is this. To remove the children, we need to give them life. It's real simple. We could take time to go back to the first few pages of the Bible in Genesis. And uh, we learned uh, last week about the first mom and dad, the first husband and wife, and the command was given to them, be fruitful and multiply And so we get to Genesis chapter 4 and we see children in the fourth chapter of the Bible. Cain and Abel, by the way, how'd they get along? Now, they had a little conflict in their home. Because of the corruption of sin, Cain killed his brother Abel. And so we need to give life because there's so much in our culture that is a culture of death. Do you understand that God is the creator of life? He's the only one that can create life. He's the only one that has the right to take life. God is a very pro-life God. Even in the womb, God is nurturing and God is forming a person in what should be the safest place on the planet for a child to spend some time. Ultrasound has given us a a window into the womb to know what's going on and if you were able to look into the womb of a mom even 8 weeks after conception this is what you'd find you'd find a child sucking his thumb you'd find a child recoiling from prickling responding to sound all of his organs are present the brain is functioning the heart is pumping the liver is making blood the kidneys are cleaning fluids and that child even has a fingerprint and yet all of that happens at a time when the baby could legally be killed in the womb we need to understand that God wants to protect that child in that very safe place give them life but secondly give them a blessing the word blessing here is a very, it's actually not found in the text, but exactly what Jesus was doing. He put his hands on them. He, he got close enough to have hands-on involvement with children. And throughout the Old Testament, we see fathers transferring a blessing to their children. It is, has something to do with touch, but it also has something to do with verbal affirmation. It's a father and a mother defining a future for their children. It's describing the child better than what they already are. Knowing they are an unfinished product, but I see a better future for you. And allowing that verbal affirmation to transfer a blessing. At a camp where hundreds of teenagers came, there was a survey done. Simply one question was asked, what do you wish you would have heard your parents say that you never heard them say? Top three answers, I love you, I'm proud of you, I was wrong. Why is it so hard for parents to say those things? It's because we don't receive the children and don't see the children as God's tool to help us understand who he is. So give them a blessing, give them prayer. Pray with them and pray for them. Open your mouth and let them hear you talk to God. I don't know about for you, but at our home, that happens at night when I'm tucking children into the bed. And I've done this from a very early age with our children, and, and I can remember even as a three-year-old, Leah, my youngest, um, tucking her in the bed one night, and, and I, I pray really big prayers. I don't care if they can understand it or not. I'm just praying. I'm just telling God on them and um, telling God what I want and I need for him to do in their lives. And so I remember one day, I was just kind of praying the gospel over my children. I was saying things like, "Um, Lord Jesus, please help Leah to understand that she's a dirty, rotten sinner. And uh, please help her to understand how much she needs you and that you died on that cross in her place as a substitute for her sin. Help her to understand the fact that Her sin can be imputed to you and your righteousness can be imputed to her. And and Lord, just help her to understand that you died on that cross to take away her sins. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I prayed that prayer, I I was getting ready to leave and I noticed that Leah's eyes got really big. And she said, daddy, she's like three years old. She said, did did Jesus take my sin away? And I thought, man, this this is a moment. God's opening her eyes to the gospel. God is giving her light and illuminating. Maybe this is the point of of new birth and regeneration and justification. I said, yes, honey, he he died to take away your sin. She said, I want him back. (laughs) She's like, she's not quite sure what sin is, but she was sure a crime had been committed to take something away from her that didn't belong to him. So anyway, we're still working on that. But anyway, (laughs) give them prayer. Give them a second chance. Hey, our children blow it all the time. It's because they came from us. They learned how to do that from us. Look over at Matthew chapter 18. Now, I told you that we were going to use Matthew 19 as a springboard to get back into some things that Jesus taught in chapter 18. And I want you to see this because in chapter 18, Jesus continues to deal with the subject of children. So look at Matthew 18 beginning in verse 10. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now just let your brain explode over that statement, okay? Number one, there's angels. Um, Number two, they're watching these children these little ones. Number three, they can do all of that while they're intensely focused on the glory of God. Yeah, that should be a motivation to realize, um, I need to pay attention to what's going on in my children's lives. The angels are even watching what's going on down here. So verse 12 says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went away? All right, so that's a yes, no question. Just to make sure you're paying attention to church this morning. What do you think the answer is? Does the guy that has 100 sheep and one strays away, does he leave the 99 and go get the one? Answer, yes or no? Absolutely. Because that sheep's valuable. And even though it strayed, it's not less valuable than the ones who stayed. And so he goes after them. He pursues them. He never gives up on that one sheep. Verse 13, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Interesting. How many of you have more than one child in your home? Okay. How many of you have one child that requires more love than the other children you have i i have i have three children they wake up in the morning with smiles on their faces they're singing i'm so happy in jesus i have another child that wakes up with boxing gloves and a cigar and they're they're ready to take on anything that gets in their way and and this child just requires more more love and 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 so But when that child is on it and when that child's using all of that intensity to do the right thing, that's the one that gets rejoiced over the most, right? And so we long for the day where we we bring them back and call them back and give them a second chance. And so look at verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You see, we're doing something on behalf of God. God is using a mom and dad to keep that one who strays from perishing. And we rejoice when God turns the heart of that child. Don't give up on those kids. And then finally here, give them a mom and a dad who are pursuing oneness. Now, last week we talked about the importance of oneness, that a That a a husband and a wife are to leave father and mother, cleave to their spouse, and become one flesh, and we, we receive one another. Do you know that is the greatest gift that you could give to your children? You say, what more valuable than a car when they're 16, more valuable than an inheritance when I die, more, more valuable than, than a huge grand wedding. Yeah, the most valuable gift you can give to your children is for mom and dad to pursue a one flesh relationship with one another and stay married. Why? Because marriage is the divine context that God gives children the best chance to succeed. Girls whose parents are not married are at much greater risk for sexual promiscuity. They're three times more likely to have a child out of wedlock themselves. Studies show that 60% of rapists grew up in fatherless homes. 72% of adolescent murderers grew up in fatherless homes. 70% of all long-term prison inmates did not have daily contact with their father growing up in their home. Children from disrupted families have more academic and behavioral problems at school. They're nearly twice as likely to drop out of high school. Children in single parent families are six times more likely to be poor. Half of the single mothers in the United States live below the poverty line. Preschool children in step families are 40 times more likely to suffer physical or sexual abuse. Children of divorce are more prone to illness, accidents, and suicide. Marriage matters to children. And children matter to God. And so the best thing we can do for them is to work on our marriages. Now listen, there are a lot of single moms here and, and you're, you're beating the odds because you're in the right place and you're putting yourself in the, a place where people can surround you. And, and listen, none of us are perfect. We all have scars and stains, but we've got to understand that God's plan hasn't changed. And if we want to raise up a generation of godly young people that are going to turn the tide in this country, we have to make sure that marriage matters. Here's the second point. God uses growing kids to grow great marriages. How many of you have noticed that children are annoying? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not yours, of course, but you know, your brother's kids, you know, somebody else's kids, but why? Why does God put these undeveloped, immature, selfish, obstinate, annoying little people in the context of a husband and a wife that are trying to do something incredibly hard in pursuing oneness. You say, man, if we just didn't have all these little annoyances around the house, we could concentrate on our marriage. Wrong. It's those little annoyances that are smashing you together as a husband and a wife to tag team the annoyance. And they're only annoying because you gave birth to them. And the same goes for me. Let's look at it. The disciples, again, clueless. Everybody learned how to spell that? The disciples ask a clueless question in verse 1 of chapter 18. Let's notice what it is. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, now just imagine yourself there. You're in a group of guys, you're hanging out with Jesus and you get over, you get into a debate with one another about who's awesome is most leaking out, okay? And so there's a little squabble and there's nominations for who's the most awesome. And finally, one of the disciples turns to Jesus, hey, Jesus, who do you think's the most awesome? Who do you think's the greatest? Who, who, Who is it? Jesus didn't answer their question. In verse 2, he realizes these guys are so clueless, they're going to need a visual aid to figure it out. So in verse 2, he says, he doesn't say anything, he does something, verse 2, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Where did he put him? Right smack dab in the middle, he takes a little annoying child and puts it in the middle of annoying disciples. Says, "Guys, I want you to learn something about kids." Now, now, seriously, we, we're joking a little bit here about the annoyance of ch- children. They're annoying. We, we're annoying to them as as parents and adults, I'm sure. But when you think about a child, what what is? What is the the most common characteristic of a child? We could debate that, but I think one of them is that they they tend to live in fantasy land, don't they? they? They like to make believe, they like to pretend, they like to make stuff up. Jesus is dealing with the fantasy of the disciples thinking they're great. They're acting like children, they're playing make believe. Now, notice Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking the question, who's the greatest? As a matter of fact, the desire to be great is God-given and God-approved. God wants you to be great. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. What he does is shows them they have a misdirected greatness. Notice they didn't really ask, how can we be great? They ask, how can we be known as great? You see, everybody wants to be known as a servant. Very few people want to actually be treated as a servant. They wanted to be known as great. Their second problem is they didn't want to be great. They just wanted to be greater or greatest. They put it in comparative terms. They're looking around like, if I can just be greater than him and greater than him and greater than him, then then I'll feel really great about myself. And they would live with the myth that they were actually great. Well, Jesus wanted them to be great. And so he uses a visual aid to teach them how to be great. And what was the visual aid? A child. So he shows them A child. Now, let's think about the distinction between childishness and childlikeness. Because look at verse 3. It says, He said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, underline the word turn, unless you turn and become like children, underline the words like children. Like children. Let's all just say that. It's therapeutic. Like children. Now put the word I in front of it. I like children. Some of you, that's very hard to understand. Some of you don't like children. And it's the reason you're not great. He says you've got to become like children. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how important are those children in your life? You want to make it to heaven? You've got to become like children. He says in verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest, underline the word greatest in verse four. He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever causes one of the least of one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You think children matter to Jesus? Absolutely. So what is he trying to teach them? We think about children, when we're talking about them being annoying, it's true that children have childishness just oozing out of them. They're selfish, I mean, did you really have to teach your your child to wake you up at three in the morning to feed him? No, he just assumed, I don't care what you're doing. I got a need, you're coming. So children take advantage of you. They're demanding. They expect things from you. They're obstinate sometimes. They don't listen to what you have to say. They want to figure it out for themselves. That is all childishness. And please listen, all of that is true in my life as well. So God is so committed to marriages and so committed to me. Do you know what He does? He gives me a selfish, demanding, obstinate child as a mirror so I can see my selfishness, demandingness, and obstinance against my heavenly Father. Childishness is something that God wants less of in me. It's okay for a three-year-old to be childish. It's not okay for a 43-year-old to be childish. God wants to get the childishness out of me. What is that? Selfishness, demandingness, obstinance, and annoying. God wants that out of me. And if I don't get that out of me, there's no way I'm getting to heaven because all of that is sin. And I understand the only way I get to heaven is as Jesus became like me. He absorbed my selfishness. He absorbed my demanding spirit. He absorbed my rebellion and my obstinance. And he took it upon himself in the cross and paid the penalty for it. And now I can receive a new nature. And so I've got to get that out of me. And the only way it happens is by repentance and faith. Jesus said, I want you to be like a child. Does that mean he wants me to be selfish and demanding and obstinate? No. Childlikeness is different than childishness. What is childlikeness? It's dependent, it's trusting, it's vulnerable, it's aware it has a need. Why did Jesus call this little child, put him right in the middle of it? because he just demonstrated what they needed to do with him. What did he say? Unless you turn. What did this child done? It turned and came to Jesus as soon as Jesus called him. That's what I want from you guys. You wanna be great? Do that. You wanna be great? Get out of your fairy tale thinking that you're awesome and understand how dependent and how vulnerable you are and come to me as your protection and your provision. Just like a little child would come to his daddy or his mom because he knows he needs help. Childlikeness is something God wants more of in me. Childishness is something God wants less of in me. Childishness is something that I can't enter if I have it. Childlikeness is something I can't enter heaven if I don't have it. So God is using children to show me how to be great. You see, true greatness is getting lower. True greatness is getting smaller. True greatness is when a big shot thinks he's just a little guy. True greatness is determined by how much your desire for self-exaltation is crucified. True greatness is putting yourself in a position to serve little people, unnoticed. Little people who are not going to think you're all that great. Little people who aren't going to stand up and give speeches about how selfless and how giving you are. That's true greatness. And that's what Jesus has done by humbling himself, becoming a human being, a little baby, growing up, and now teaching us to extract the childishness and embrace childlikeness. There's some stuff that God wants to accomplish in me that He can't get done unless. I receive children in His name. Some of you need more children in your life. Some of you need to understand how much those children you have in your life really matter to your own personal sanctification and what God is doing to change you and to change me. You can't enter heaven without child likeness. Can I ask you a question? Are you sure that when you die, you're gonna enter heaven? I hope so. I think so. I can guarantee that you won't unless you've ever turned from your selfishness and your sin to Jesus, understand how needy you were of a Savior, trusted Him and Him alone, not your religion, not your good works, not your pocketbook, but trusted Jesus as Savior and humble yourself like a little baby and cry out for Him. Some of you are too proud to do that because you think you're great and you're never going to be great until you trust Jesus like a little child.
1: Coming to Jesus requires us to humble ourselves and become childlike in our faith. We must recognize that apart from God's grace, we are helplessly separated from God by our sin. Jesus wants us to come to him as children, trusting him with simple faith to forgive our sins so that one day we can be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. I hope that you have trusted Christ for salvation, and if not, I hope today will be your day. Well, we love to invite you to worship with us at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana or St. Joseph, Michigan. For service times and locations, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm glad you've joined us here today. I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Pastor Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger at harvestgranger.org.